Good morning. How's everybody today? Thank you, Dave. It's I always feel for the tech guys when something goes wrong. There's this like awkward like look back, like everybody starts staring. It's like it's not their fault. It's just technology in general's fault, right? And so, happy Fourth of July to everybody today. Everybody excited about the Fourth? Yeah, if man, a lot of y'all obviously aren't from the Boot Hill. When when Fourth of July runs around where I'm from, if you look on a map, the Boot Hill of Missouri, when it's the fourth, it's like the best time of the year because it's like legal to set off a massive amounts of ordnance. That just the more explosions and fire and twelve gauge rounds we can pump into the air, the better. And that's life. And they go on until the fifth of July throughout the night, and so you don't sleep and you're in your house. Like I, I used to live in Memphis. And if the sounds I heard in the Boot Hill of Missouri were in Memphis, I'd think somebody's trying to like just come into my house and kill me. But in the Boot Hill, it's just like, eh, it's the fourth. It's fine. It's good, right? So I don't know if you go have plans tonight, but it does make me miss being back there. And so maybe we'll set off something tonight. Uh, but good morning to all of you. I'm obviously not Paul. My name is Clay. I'm the youth minister here. And I want to give a little... Um, a little bit of information out about this coming Saturday night for Trivia Night. If you guys are going to come out, we're going to do teams of five or less. You can have teams of one or two and stuff like that. We're going to have some prizes. We're going to give away some Chick-fil-A gift cards. Anybody like Chick-fil-A? And now, yes, we're going to do that so you can go eat for free if you're smart enough, right? If you're smart enough to win, you uh, if you're dumb, you have to pay your own money. Sorry. But if not, come on out. We're going to have a bunch of fun. If you don't want to play and you just want to watch the antics, feel free to come in and do that. We're going to have some concessions, and we're going to have some teams, and just have a good night. And all the money from that is going to go to help sending our students to camp. We have almost maxed out our camp for the numbers we have right now. So that's exciting, and it's going to be pretty phenomenal. Uh, July 19th through the 23rd is going to be the length of camp. And so if anybody has any questions about it, please come see me next week. If you're a parent or a guardian or a student or just somebody who wants to know more about exactly what all we're doing, next Sunday after church, I'm going to be up here to give uh, some more detailed information. Sound good? Excellent, excellent. We're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning. Book of Psalms and Psalm 1 is where we're going to be at. And so uh, before we begin, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the day. Thank you for all that you have done for us as a nation, but all you have done for us as a people, as humanity, that we are doomed without you. And as we celebrate this day of freedom, let us not forget the freedom that you gave us, which is far greater than anything that the world has given us, that the country has given us, that you have given us freedom from sin if we follow you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Help us now to hear your word and to live it out. To your name we pray, our King. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about freedom. Seems appropriate, right? Freedom in Christ. You know, our founding fathers, since 1776, signed a declaration saying we are going to not be under the tyranny of of England. We're not going to be under the tyranny of King George anymore, but we're going to resolve that we're going to separate. And I have to have that separation had to have some teeth in it, right? Like the king wasn't going to be like, okay, y'all go have fun. 
Now, we fought a war over this for the sake of one thing, freedom. But as we think about freedom today, I want us to remember the freedom that we have received from Christ that is greater than what we fought for. And that is the freedom from sin. Because in Jesus, is the, that's the only place where that freedom can be found. And if you believe in Jesus, then that freedom is yours. That you are what we call an adopted child of God. That you can claim that I am an adopted son. I am an adopted daughter of Jesus. John 8.36 says it this way. Whom the Son sets free, you are free indeed. I mean, if you are a child of God, your sin does not define you. The culture does not define you. Nothing on this earth defines you, but only Christ defines you. Because a lot of times when, we're, when we follow Jesus, we still have sins that like to come and commit what I call guerrilla warfare against us. It can't conquer us, but it's just constantly coming at us, constantly trying to eat away at us. And sometimes we get caught up and we think, you know, this is what defines me. I'm this kind of person. I am a failure. I am a liar. I am these things. But that is not so. If you believe in Jesus, then you are who Jesus has declared you are. And that is somebody who is free. That is someone who is forgiven. That is someone who is beloved and heaven-bound. That God knows who you are. And He is inviting you into a relationship with Himself to know Him. And we get a privilege with that, and that's the privilege of prayer. That we actually get to talk to the King of Kings, and He will actually listen to us. And a lot of times we kind of write off prayer. But when we think of prayer, prayer is really God inviting us to rule the world with Him. It's kind of like any of you, when you were a little kid, your dad and your mom let you sit on the seat, sit on their lap, and you get to drive the car, right? Anybody done that? Anybody wrecked the car like in that moment? A couple, you got close. Well, when you're really in that moment, and your parents are paying attention, who's driving the car? Well, you are, right? You're on the steering wheel, but who's in control of the car? Mommy and Daddy. Mommy and Daddy's got their foot on the gas and the brake. You never got to do that, right? They never sat in your lap and go, okay, you get to do the gas and the brake and I'll steer. No, that never worked, right? You're on the wheels because they're like, I've got this magic button down here that says stop. Well, for most of us, unless you're like my car and it squeals when the uh, brakes come up, right? But that's what prayer is doing. God is putting us in the lap and going, let's do this together. And it's, this is a great privilege that a child of God has. And if you believe in Jesus, then you're going to want to follow Him. You're going to desire to follow Him. You're going to desire to do good, to be righteous, to be kind, to be truthful, to be just, to live your life the way Jesus would have us live, to tell people about Christ. But here's the reality of things, too. Will you mess up? Yes. And when you mess up, is that it? Is it done? You're out? No. But when the sun sets free, you are free indeed. That's regardless if I sin again after that. Because Jesus has forgiven us for all sin. Those in the past, the ones we maybe do presently, those in the future. And when we sin, He is faithful to forgive, as First John would say. If we would ask Him. However, temptation will come in this life, right? Temptation is going to come in because Satan hates Christ. And Satan hates us for following Christ. And he's going to try to draw us away from Him all the time. I used to teach kids this by taking a tackle box. And if you're, anybody fish? Any fishermen in the room? If you, when you fish, you use specific bait for specific fish, right? 
mean, something can catch most things, but if I want bass, then I'm going to be specific on what I'm going to get for bass. If I'm going to go for catfish, I'm going to get specific for catfish. In the same way Satan works in our lives, they're going, I know which bait to use for you and for me. I know that maybe it's popularity, or maybe it's material things, or maybe it's lying, or maybe it's lust. I know exactly what to cast right in front of you, and it looks so good, kind of like a fish to the bait. But what is the bait usually hiding? The hook, right? And that's going to be him constantly casting out, trying to reel us back to himself. But if we are in Christ, he may grab us with a hook, but he will never catch us. But sometimes we will feel like, yeah, He's got me. When really, you're not even out of the water yet. Christ has you. And so we need to be on guard for what temptation is going to come our way. So that's why I'm going to look in Psalm 1 today. And so I'm going to read a little bit and we'll discuss what it is, what's going on here. Book of Psalms, book 1, chapter 1. The way of the righteous and the wicked. This is the ESV, by the way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That first word there, blessed. When he, this book was written, is written in Hebrew. Jesus would use the Hebrew or the Greek equivalent of blessed when he writes or when he speaks on the Sermon on the Mount in this little section called the Beatitudes. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Same word is used here. And it's this moment of going, you're going to get the man who follows God. You're going to gain spiritual blessings from God. The man who lives according to God's word. And then he gives the example, this is what the man looks like. And he uses these three actions, to walk, to stand, to sit. And he uses them like this. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. This walking means how you live your everyday life and who you seek counsel from, who you seek advice from. He says, The man of God doesn't seek after the wicked or the sinner or the scoffer. Those three words he's using, the sinner, the wicked, the scoffer. This is somebody who does not follow Christ. In fact, there's somebody who rejects God himself. I don't live according to God's word. I live to what the world will tell me or to what I want to do. But God says, blessed is the man who follows what I say, who follows me, who lives for me. They live according and like Christ, not to like evil or bad counsel. I'm not going to follow after those things. And, it, and here's the reality for us. Like if you think about our founding fathers, if they had fought the revolution, they fought for freedom, and then George Washington claimed himself king and just mimicked what King George in England did. That would be idiotic, right? Like we literally just fought to get away from this. Why would we continue to be this way? It's the same for those of us who follow Christ, but yet we would stay like our old selves. We would stay, you know, didn't really change. We just kind of stayed doing the same old things, following the same advice, following the world and never opening the Bible, never praying. That seemed stupid, right? But this is what Satan tries to tempt us to do. And so we're going to follow who Christ is. And the temptation comes is when the world tells you otherwise. When friends come up and say, you need to think this. This is the way you need to act. This is the way you need to believe. 
And because we might want to be friends with this person or seem appropriate at the time and not be in the awkward situation or, you know, not, we, we don't like confront. Anybody not like confrontation in the room? A few of us. If not, let's, let's, let's go, right? No, I'm kidding. Like, we, we hate confrontation, and so we'll end up giving ground to things we know we shouldn't. And that temptation's always going to be there. It's like me when I was a kid. Uh, for those of you who've been to church camp before, if you went to where I went, sometimes you got to be the unlucky cabin that got to do cleanup duty after lunch or supper. And as like a seven-year-old, you're like, what? I did not come here for this. But I remember distinctly being in the cafeteria and our cabin and a girl's cabin had to go and clean. And we had a girl in the group who had pranked all of us, all of us guys prior. And we're all like, how do we get her back? Well, I had a guy who is, you know, the popular kid in our cabin who I wasn't friends with, but really, really wanted to be friends with. And so he's over here going, hey, as I'm mopping, by the way, he goes, hey, you should take the mop water and like hit her with it. And I'm like, I know that's wrong. <laughs> I know that's a bad move. However, I really want this kid to like me. So what do you think I did? Picked up the bucket, aimed, fired, and a female counselor walks right in front of her and just gets doused. And the look on her face when she turned and goes, are you crazy? And I'm like, Yes. Oh, no. Was it worth it? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. But that temptation to not walk like Christ, to not do what Christ has told us to do in our everyday walk and how we talk, is so prevalent that we need to be on guard. And God is saying, blessed is the one who walks with me, not according to the counsel of the wicked. And he goes on to the next part here. He says, nor stands in the way of sinners. When you think about standing, who do you stand with? You can use sports terminology with this. Like for those of you who like the St. Louis Cardinals. Any fans? A few of you? you? If you like the Cardinals, you stand with the Cardinals. If you like the Cubs... You know, you stand with the Cubs. If you like the Reds, you stand with the Reds. And so when you go to the game, you're standing, you're not cheering when they hit the home run, right? When the other team hits the home run. You're standing when my team hits the home run. And so when I follow Christ, I'm going to follow, stand with Christ. I'm not going to stand in the way of sinners. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so why would I stand in the way of people who don't follow Christ if I follow Jesus? And so know, it's this knowing who you belong to. And lastly, he's saying the sit. Nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. And so last time I taught this, I taught this as a kid, and they had no clue what the word scoffer meant. And I won't say how many people know what the word scoffer means here, but another word to use is mocker, right? Those who would mock you for what you believe. He says, no longer, or they do not sit in the seat of scoffers. And this is the idea of community. Not saying that we shouldn't be friends with non-believers, but if we believe in Jesus, that the core of our community should be those who are in Christ. Because here's the fact that in this world, who you surround yourself with will influence you. And that's just going to happen. Now, you may be the main influencer in your life of other people, but you have also been influenced by others. And so as we live 
our life. As we gather around certain people, if we're believers in Christ, we need to surround ourselves with other believers who constantly, every day, teach us the truth of Christ. We need to be with people who have walked longer and better with Christ than ourselves. And we seek discipleship. That if you're like me and you've never really been discipled before, you kind of yearn for that. So don't be afraid to go to somebody and be like, I want to know Jesus more. Can you help me? And if you're that person who has walked with Jesus longer, don't be afraid to go seek people and go, hey, I want to teach you about the Savior who saved our souls. I want to teach you about the King who we both believe in. And so I'm going to sit with those who are like Christ. I'm going to share Jesus with others. But here's, here's the fact. The word he uses is scoffer, the mocker idea. It's kind of like what happened when I threw the bucket of water at the girl. You think the kid who I was, I was trying to impress was like, oh, we're best friends now. That was so cool. No, he looks at me and goes, dude, that was so stupid. I didn't think you would do that. You're such an idiot. And this week of camp that was supposed to be really fun turned into kind of a miserable week because this kid is constantly like picking on me through the week because I did something he told me to do. But isn't that the way life tends to go sometimes? That we might follow what we think everybody wants us to do, but end up paying the price for it. And it's the same thing. If we believe in Jesus, sometimes we're tempted to kind of compromise our faith, to give, give ground over to those who don't believe in Christ so that we might impress them or seem more appealing to them. But here's the thing. Jesus says this, that people in this world will hate you because they first hated Him. This thing that sin can't be around Christ. Sin is the opposite of Christ. Satan hates Christ. And so people who are bound by sin are going to be drawn away from Jesus until they hear the gospel. And so as we're around people, we need to be preaching the gospel, but also to understand that if we don't have the discernment, if we don't have the maturity, we need to be on guard for being influenced ourselves. You see this in the book of Revelation. When you see, it's in chapter 4, when John's preaching to the churches. He's, all the different churches, they're different things. There's false teachers coming against some, and there's some that are spiritually compromising their faith. Yeah, the Bible says this, but we don't believe that anymore. We don't do that. We don't do this. And you see this happening, and God's going, no, we, who you sit with will matter in your life. So let's find a community of believers to be around. Because in the end, when you compromise your faith, it will only lead to disdain and disappointment. I used to tell my students in uh, our college ministry back in North Carolina this. It's like, when you follow, when some of us here kind of hide the fact we go to church from certain people. Or we hide the fact that we're a believer and we try to like, you know, just be like our friend group or be like the world so we fit in. But what benefit really is that? Because if they find out you are a Christian and you get mocked for it, is that mockery going to benefit you at all? No. But Jesus says that if people mock you for doing what I say, for sharing Him, for being like Him, it's treasure in heaven for you. Because they first hated Him. He's like, you're being like me? Reward for you. So isn't it better for us to just, if we claim Christ, just to be like Christ? They mock us, hey, reward. If they listen to us, a new brother in Christ. It's nothing but benefit. 
but it's hard to see that in the moment. And so that's why we need to be on guard to go, who I stand with, who I walk with, who I sit with matters. That In the end, I'm going to walk with Christ. I'm going to stand for Jesus, and I'm going to sit with those who believe in Christ. And you get into verse 2, and he says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. Meaning, when I follow Jesus, I'm not going to live just according to what whoever says something about Jesus. Right? Have you ever gone on Instagram and you saw somebody post like something like, God did this today? It's like, they must be a theologian. They must be the most advanced Bible scholar ever. Repost. And their next thing, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> like, that's, that, that's not a Jesus, right? No, my delight is in the law of the Lord. How do I know God? But I know his word. And so I'm going to commit to knowing God, to learning about him. And for those of us who look at the Bible and go, it's a pretty intimidating book. Amen. Sometimes it's a little like getting Leviticus and you're like, oh, no, like what, what's going on here? If we don't know how to read the Bible, then again, let us go to people who have walked longer with Christ than us and go, how do you read this book? How do I take this book and apply it to my own life? How do I take it and apply it to my own law? This thing was written thousands of years ago. How is it relevant today? And when you start realizing how relevant it is, it'll blow your mind. Because as we read it, we're going to look more and more like Jesus. And it's going to bring joy to us all. Then you get into verse 3 and 4 here. And he's giving an example of what it's like for somebody who follows Christ and somebody who does not follow God. Okay, Verse 3 and 4, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff the wind drives away. If you are a child of God and you stick with Jesus, which plant do you think you'll end up looking more like? The one that's dead or the one that's alive? I'll give you a hint. It's the live one, right? He says here, you'll be a tree, like a tree planted by streams of water. You think a tree, like if you went to, say, the Sequoia National Park, the giant red one, you transplanted that and stuck it in the Sahara. You think it would last long? Answer is no, right? Why? Because there's one ingredient missing. It's got a lot of sunlight, needs that, right? But it misses that water, right? <laughs> that H2O, because that's what brings it life. And what he's saying here is that if I follow Christ, I'm planted by streams of water. That water means the Word of God. That if I'm constantly in the Word of God, if I'm constantly living according it, knowing my Savior more, I'm going to be like a tree that is well watered. I heard a pastor once say like this, I've never seen a strong Christian who is not in the Word of God every day. And I've never met a weak one who is. I'm constantly in the Word of God, and I'm being fed. This is, what this comes down to is spiritual health. Like, not, not what you find at like Barnes & Noble in the like, weird spirituality section. We're talking about we, we take care of our bodies, right? Or at least we're supposed to. We know we're supposed to take care of our minds, but how often do we neglect our spiritual walk? But if we are in the Word of God and we're living according it, that's going to be like water to us. And in doing so, it's going to say it yields its fruit in season. If you had an orange plant and it did not yield its fruit in season, it was like randomly spotting up in the winter and all these other spots, you're just like, something's not right with this plant, right? 
But if I'm a living according to the Word of God, if I'm watered by daily, it's like you will be a healthy state. You will be yielding your fruit in season. And it says all that it does prospers. Now, when you look at a plant, like a fruit-bearing plant, like an orange tree or an apple tree, is the fruit meant for the tree? Now, the fruit is produced by the tree, and it's to the benefit of others. It's to the benefit of the creatures around, to people. And in the same way as I live for Christ, and I'm in His Word, and I am yielding my fruit in season, the fruit that comes out of that is not meant really for me. It's meant for the people who are around me, to the benefit of those who are around me. Whether they believe in Christ or not, they're going to see, and there's something peculiar about you, what is it? And it's an opportunity for us to share Christ, right? Or when our believing brothers and sisters are in tragedy or in the midst of sin and they need help, that we can go and be able to provide the help needed for them to prosper more. And so this is talking about this healthy spirituality of Christ. Then he gets to the other and he says, the wicked are not so. And he says one simple phrase here. But they are like the chaff the wind drives away. And that says a lot. Do you all know what chaff is? It took me forever to figure that out because I would see this a lot of times. Basically, and I meant to bring some dried up leaves, but if you took some dried up leaves, just crush them in your hand, then bloom out the little particles that come around, that's chaff. Chaff is a result of something dead. Because those who do not follow Christ, according to the Word, are someone who is not watered. I reject Jesus and so in rejecting Christ, you are like that sequoia planted in the desert. Bear no fruit. Spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually dead. And so when you see a bunch of dead trees, to what are they good for? It's 4th of July. Campfires. Right? And so it, it's, it's telling something here that when... It's nothing more than chaff blown by the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow, mattering nothing, good for nothing but the fire. And he says, this is the path of those who do not follow Christ. He says, but for those of us who follow Jesus, he said, I want you to be alive. To not follow the ways we used to, what, used to do. Corinthians talks about this, that you are now a new creation. The old is what? It's gone. The new has come. I do not live according to the standards of the world. I live according to the standards of Christ. And so when I live for Christ, that I'm going to be like the tree planted by the water. I'm going to stick with Him. But when I start walking back into the old way of living, that's when you see the unhealth coming back. Like a tree that stops producing its fruit in season. Or like the apple tree that we had growing up and it produces these nasty little apples that were good for nothing but stepping on and throwing at your cousins. Right? They're not meant to benefit you. They're not meant to help you. But Christ is going, that's what I want you to be. That all that you do. Then he gets into the last part here. Verses 5 through 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And what this part is doing here, this is instruction and warning. And it's mimicking what Jesus says about the end of time. That when Jesus returns, He's like, I'm going to separate all people by those who believed in Christ and those who did not believe in Christ. And the ones who did not believe in Christ will not stand. This is idea of being before the King of Majesty, being before the King of the universe, Jesus Himself. Like if you ever look in the Bible, anytime an angel shows up, people freak out. 
like the shepherds, like, you know, Christmas time, the shepherds and the angel, they're like, oh, <laughs> whoa. Like, I can't not stand. When Isaiah sees God, he goes, I am, I'm doomed. I'm a man of unclean lips, and he falls on his face. But for those who believe in Christ, you will stand in the congregation, and you will see your king face to face. But for those who did not, you will fall to the wayside. And to one will go with Jesus, and to one they will not. They will go to destruction. And so what, what this really gets to us here is this realization that all of our lives are filled with choices. And that's a gift of God, right? You can choose where you're going to go eat lunch today. At least some of you hope to. Some of you are like, no, I know we're going to go, and you're just going to have to come with me, right? And then you have to choose whether or not to make a big fuss about it, right? I get to choose all these things, but do you get to choose the consequence that follows your choice? Now, I can choose to follow Christ, and I gain things that Christ has given to me. Forgiveness, love, heaven. And I can choose not to follow Christ. But you don't get to choose the consequence that follows that. It's like my I had a student once, we were at a camp, who we, he didn't know we were watching him outside the cabin, but was taking the trash out, big, huge thing of trash, fresh from lunch, and he's walking to the dumpster. And you know, if you're a big dumpster, you have to throw it up, right? Well, he could have easily just picked it up, set it in, but he decided to just rear back and throw it. He made a choice that day. Rear back, throw it. And when it hit the side of the dumpster, the corner piece, did he get to choose whether or not that bag exploded into a thousand feet of just raw food and nasty leftover for lunch? He did not. And nor did he get to choose the fact that we were laughing at him from the building. But then he made another choice to see some strawberries that were in the trash and thought, those still look fine, and made a choice to pick down, pick it up, and eat it. Did he get the consequence of all of us going, like, no, no, like screaming from the building? No. He didn't get that consequence, right? But he made a choice, a disgusting choice, but a choice nonetheless, right? And it's the same for us here that we're going to have to make a choice with Jesus. Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to believe in Jesus or not? That's a God-given right that you've been given. But if I have chosen to follow Jesus, are you going to choose to continue to follow him in all that he says? This is a warning, this is an instruction he gives here, that those who do not follow God will not get what the child of God gets. The child of God gets forgiveness, gets to pray to God, gets to love from God, he gets heaven. But those who do not follow God will face the judgment. And this is not just some Old Testament saying about hell. In fact, you know who speaks on hell more than anybody else in the Bible? Jesus himself. Because Jesus is bringing the reality of why, you don't know why it's so important he came? Because of the consequence of our choice of sin. And there's no way out of that. And so he came to make a way. He came to die for us and came to save us. And the last thing he says, the Great Commission, is to live for him, to go to the nations baptizing them to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We can 
delete that sometimes. But teaching them to obey all that I commanded you and know that I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. The choice is to follow Christ, but also the realization that I can't do this alone. So Christ is offering himself of going, I will be there with you. And we ask Jesus, he lives in our heart. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. He's going, you're not going to fight this fight alone. I'm going to give you a community of believers to surround yourself with as we live this life together for the glory of God and to the good of us. And so we're going to stay with Jesus. And that's what he's calling out here is, be the man who is blessed, who walks according to who Christ is, who stands with Jesus, who sits with Christ and those who follow Jesus. Because is Jesus worth it? Absolutely. And I'll end with this here in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says this in verse here, 19. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it? Then you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when Jesus suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by Jesus' wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep, straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Is Jesus worth following? Without a doubt. Why? Because of who he is and what he's done. And so this 4th of July, so we remember what our founding fathers did to provide us freedom today that we benefit from greatly, right? Because of the hardships they did. Let us remember even more so because of the hardships that Jesus faced for us that we can have freedom from sin, that we can have life everlasting, that we can have fellowship with believers, and that we can tell the world of a true hope where true freedom lies. And that's with Christ Himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the day. And as we celebrate tonight and throughout the day with good food and lots of explosions and all those good things, that we would not lose sight of You, but that we would choose to bask in the freedom that You have given us from sin, that we would choose to walk with You, that we would choose to open up the Scriptures and just know more about You, that we would live for You, that we would stand with You, that we would sit with You, and that we would surround ourselves with believers. And so as we go out... And we encounter people who don't know Christ, that we would shine your love to them, that we would shine your words to them, and the gospel, Lord Jesus. We love you so much, Father. Thank you that for all that you have done, 
And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.